The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in His kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, God bless you, Ecclesia. It is such a gift to look out and see so many people that I know and love. And as we began to sweat out a summer together, that we get to spend time and contemplate what God uh, has for us. And I have been chosen, I'm not sure how, uh, but one of the things that I've been selected to do is to kick off our summer series. And um, it's very similar to what we were doing last summer. We did a series last summer that really became a hit and we focused on the voices of women, uh, both in the church and in church history and in the Bible that have often been ignored and we missed. And the series just kept going and going because we kept going, well, we can't not celebrate this voice or this voice. And you'll remember, in fact, if you don't, I had a favorite book that I ordered by accident that's literally changed my life, a book called Divine Enjoyment by Elaine Padilla. And and so we decided this year, let's keep it going. And so we're calling it this year, slightly different, tell her story. And we're gonna be looking at the stories of different women. And I'm really fired up to tell you that the majority of the preachers that will be sharing these messages will be women telling the story of women. And we think that's a gift and a beautiful thing. If for some reason in our culture on the ridiculousness of social media, someone has told you that women can't preach, show up at Ecclesia. Erica will be here next week and it'll be really clear. We have some women that can preach and they bring beautiful gifts to our life and faith and community. And if we didn't have their voices, we would be missing out on a lot. Um, So I'm really grateful that I get to be a part uh, of sharing that story. And today I get to tell the story of one of my favorite women in all of the scripture, Uh, a woman named Hagar, or if you come from an Arab or Muslim background, you may call her Hajar. And Hajar is is an amazing woman. And this is one of those weeks as we dig into the story um, that if you're new to faith and you feel like, I don't really know the Bible very well, and I often feel intimidated by it. You need to know that you have an advantage this week. Um, so the people that come and they grew up in the church and they know the Bible and they've heard these stories over and over, they're going to have to unlearn before they can relearn. And you start fresh. You start with new eyes and, and eyes that really see and hear and grasp what is a really beautiful and remarkable story. So in order to understand Hajar's experience, um, what I'd like for you to think about today is a time in your life that you felt ignored or not seen. Uh, Maybe you remember what it was like. (laughs) Maybe I did this to my siblings or they did it to me. I remember being on the receiving end of it. But anybody have an experience growing up where your family or the people around you um, did a little thing where they basically just agreed, we're going to ignore this person. Like, I remember a kid going into the, and just like, no matter what I said, it was as though I didn't exist. Like I was the kid in Sixth Sense, right? You know what I'm talking about, you've seen the movie, right? If I gave it away and you haven't seen that movie yet, then it's a spoiler like 30 years late. So, <laughs> it, it, he's a ghost, he didn't exist. And, um, and so this is what you need to know, the worst feeling, I will tell you from my wife, I would rather take her rage than her apathy, right? If she does the ice queen routine on me, it just crushes me. They, maybe you've seen the, I think it was Stanford, they did these experiments with babies where mothers would go from being fully engaged with these babies to still face. And 
And these babies panic. They lose it. They're trying to get their mother's attention and they're screaming or they're yelling they're, they're, because that connection is so important. Maybe you've got somebody you work with. Anybody have somebody you work with that won't look at you? They ignore you. If you're in a meeting, they don't acknowledge what you said. If I have somebody, I'm probably not going to say it because they're probably in the room that I work with. But it, it, it hurt. It, like there's that thing of being ignored. It hurts. And so today, we're going to lean into the story of Hagar, Hagar, Hajar, who was largely ignored until she's finally seen. So I got five things that I'm hoping that you'll... Um, Contemplate with me and learn a bit from this uh, story today. And, and here's the first one. Um, this is the first one. I want to invite you today to celebrate your story and your family without pretending perfection. Like, to actually lean into your real story, where you've come from, what you've experienced, without trying to pretend it's better than it is. This is what you need to know about the story of Abraham and Sarah, and you're gonna hear it. They, they're flawed. It, oftentimes in the church, the church I grew up in, they made Abraham and Sarah out to be the heroes, and clearly they did some amazing things. Abraham and Sarah took off. God told them, I wanna take you to a land and it's going to be a beautiful land. It's going to be a promised land. I'm going to um, multiply your descendants. You're going to be a mighty nation. But then he was like, but I'm not going to tell you where it is. And they went anyway, right? I'm going camping right after this service. Literally, I'm walking out the door, grabbing Christian. Why we're going camping in Texas in summer, I have no idea. Um, but I know that I'm go. I know where I'm going. There's a river called the Frio, which in Spanish means cold. So that's where I will be is in the Frio River, right? And I at least know where I'm going. They went out, they didn't know where they were going. But I'll tell you, they got a lot wrong along the way. In fact, Abram's first thing that he did, and a lot of it was out of fear, right? Abram's first thing, they were traveling through Egypt and he realized in the, uh, in the biblical language in the Hebrew, it gives a very um, descriptive um, term to describe Sarah. It basically said Sarah was hot. Um, and so uh, she was desirable. Sarah was really attractive. And Abram thought, everywhere I go, people are going to want her to be their wife. And he said, but instead of telling them she's my wife, I might have to fight them. Or it'd be like, he says, just say you're my sister. So he gets to Egypt. Can anybody imagine telling your wife, like, pretend you're my sister? Like, how's that going to go for you? He gets to Egypt, he says, she's my sister. He says, great, I wanna marry her. Then he takes a dowry, because he's the brother, so he gets paid. So I don't know what you call that where you come from, but over in Montrose, when you get paid and someone gets your sister, what do you call that? You're pimping at that point, right? <laughs> so you grew up singing these songs about Father Abraham and many sons, but nobody sang Father Abraham, he was a pimp, like nobody. <laughs> Nobody said that. Nobody said that, right? But he's like, there's no way you can spin that as a good move, right? Am I right, husbands? Like, there's no way you turn to your wife and say, well, that was the right thing to do, right? It was the wrong thing to do. And so this is the thing. We all come from families of people, including ourselves, that did the wrong thing. 
And what we often do with this story is we try to make Abram and Sarah into bigger and better than they were and, and justify everything they did instead of just going like, that was messed up. And this is one of them. So this is what we see, Genesis 16. It tells us that God has promised Abram and Sarah this amazing thing. He's going to take them to the promised land. He's going to multiply their children. He's going to bless them so that they can bless everyone. And that's a pretty amazing mission, right? But it tells us in Genesis 16 that despite God's promise, years went by and still Abram's wife Sarah remained childless. But she, she did have an Egyptian servant girl whose name was Hagar. And Sarai had an idea, so she approached her husband. And Sarai says to Abram, later on he's Abraham, but here he's Abram. And she says, you can see that the eternal one has still not allowed me to have any children. Why don't you sleep with my servant girl? Maybe I could use her as a surrogate and have a child through her. So Abram listened to Sarai and he agreed to follow her plan. We'll come back to the scripture in, in just a minute, but just pause with me here for a moment. They, God's made a big promise. There's still no children, and they come up with a plan. Now, who's had a voice in this plan so far? Sarah? Abram hears it and essentially agrees. Who's not had any participation in this plan? Hagar, for one, right? And you would think, right, if you want this plan to succeed, you're going to have a baby with Hagar. Maybe somebody should ask Hagar, right? Like, it seems logical she should have some consent or participation. Who else is not participating in this plan? God, the very one who made the promise. You got to hear this, Ecclesia. If you're making plans and they don't, you never bother to ask God, right? Things are not going to go well for you. So Abram and Sarah, right, there's, you read the story and you're just like, are you kidding me? Like, who thinks this is the way to do things? So Abram and Sarah, they, they embark on this plan. And the scriptures tell us that after they lived 10 years in Canaan, Abram's wife, Sarai, took her servant girl, Hagar, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as a wife. So Abram slept with Hagar, and it was not long before she conceived. But as soon as she knew she was pregnant with Abram's child, Hagar's attitude changed, and she became haughty towards Sarai. Sarai would not tolerate her servant girl looking down on her. So she approached Abram again. And she said, this is what she says. Sarah says to Abram, this is all your fault, right? Any husbands have a conversation that started this way? <laughs> First thing she says, this is all your fault, right? I allowed my servant girl to be intimate with you, and as soon as she saw she was pregnant with your child, she started behaving arrogantly and disrespectfully toward me. I have nothing, I've done nothing to deserve this. Debatable, right? <laughs> Let the eternal one judge who is in the wrong here, you or me, Sarah says to Abraham. And Abram says, look, she's still your servant girl. Do whatever you want with her. She's under your control, right? So Abram has power, he relinquishes it. At this point, Sarah has all the power, and Hagar has none. So it tells us, in the King James it says, Sarah was very harsh with her. She, in the voice we say, clamped down on Hagar severely. We don't know what that means, but we know it wasn't pretty. And Hagar, it was so bad that Hagar ran away. 
and the special messenger of the eternal one found Hagar alone by a spring of water in the desert. This is what's fascinating to me as you read this part of the story. So far, Abram and Sarah have power, right? What do they do with it? They use it to get what they think they want, right? Now, the only character in the story with more power than Abram and Sarah is who? And, and the question for me in this, and this is what I want you to ask today, right, is this question of then how will we use our power? How does God use his power? And then secondly, what I'd love for you to think about, I got five things today. The second is what should we do with our power? So I want you to watch how God uses his power with Hagar and think, how might we act similarly? Hagar's on the run, she's alone. And this is what it tells us in Genesis 16. That Hagar's servant girl, uh, yeah, that that the special messenger, the angel, appeared from God speaking to Hagar. And first, notice the first word. What's the first word the angel uses? He calls her by name. You'll notice Abram and Sarai kept calling the slave girl. But to God, she had a name. Her name was Hagar. And Hagar, Sarah's servant girl, the angel says. And this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible, by the way. The angel says, where have you come from and where are you planning to go? God has all the power. What does God use his power for? To invite Hagar's voice. No one's asked Hagar, what do you think about anything, right? And God comes along and says, not only do I want to know what you think, tell me your story. Where have you come from and where are you going? Now, I tell you, if you've got power, and by the way, you do, your job is to lift up those who don't have a voice. One of the best things you could do today is leave here and go to Simple Feast. And at Simple Feast, if you sat with one of our brothers and sisters who may currently be unhoused, and you asked them exactly these two questions, where have you come from and where do you plan on going? Get back, lean back, and get ready to take a ride. Because you'll hear a story. And what are you doing when you ask those questions? You're inviting our brothers and sisters to have a voice. And you know what I've learned when you ask people, where have you come from and where do you plan on going? They start to dream dreams about where they want to go. Nobody's asked them, where do you want to go? What, what, when God shows up and God says, where do you want to go? What do you get to do? You get to dream. Well, I want this. This is the kind of life I want. And you've got to hear this. If you're voiceless, if you feel exiled, God's coming to you and saying, where have you come from and where do you want to go? And then our job is to do the same. Not a beautiful story. Does anybody else see how significant that is? That God would come to the slave girl and ask her these questions. And it goes on. And this is what it tells us. She asked, and Hagar just said, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, right? I have a lot to run away from. And the angel then sits down and does what to me is so difficult in this story and essentially says, your suffering isn't over yet. Anybody heard that story before? And maybe you're in the middle of it. And you, maybe you made a bad choice however many years ago, and, you're, and it's just, it's the gift that keeps on giving, right? Isn't that the thing about bad decisions? Like one bad decision can stick with you for a long time. Not forever maybe, but for a long time. And in the midst of this, the angel says, I want you to go back 
and you're going to endure more hardship. But then the angel says, you need to know that God didn't just make a promise to Abram and to Sarai. God made a promise to you. And he says, the promise to you is that you're going to be the mother of an entire nation, more descendants than you could count. And then this is the part, there's a bunch of places in this. If you grew up in the church, you've got to unlearn. Then God says, and I'm going to give you the translation. I don't remember if this is King James or this is what I learned in him when I was a kid. And I remember the Sunday school teacher explaining to us like, Hagar was a mistake. And so her offspring was a mistake, right? And essentially she was the mother of Islam and Ishmael, this is how it describes Ishmael in, in Genesis 16. And this is, this is a different translation, but this is how I learned it when I was a kid. When I was a kid, this is what they told me. And he shall be, Ishmael, a wild ass among men. Right? Now, if you grew up in the Baptist church I grew up in, that was not a compliment to be a wild ass of a man. Right? <laughs> it was not, like literally the worst thing you could be in that Baptist church was a wild ass man. Right? That was like, that was the worst and essentially what I was told was, God's saying, like, he's a problem. And it goes on. He says, he's going to be a wild ass of a man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his brethren. It said, he's going he's gonna to fight. And so what I was told growing up is, that's a problem. He's not a very good guy, and he's constantly going to be fighting with his brothers. And then when the Iraq war happened, people came and said, see, this is what happens. We fight with Muslims. Anybody hear that version of this story before? Am I the only one? Just four of us. How many of you will never raise your hand, no matter what? How many human beings are in the room today? About 15%. That's, that's really helpful for me. So this, this is the deal. Hagar was a slave. So what do you think? When, when God's describing her son Ishmael as a wild-ass man, what's he saying really? He's saying he's going to be wild, and he's going to be free, and he's going to be strong, right? And for Hagar, that's good news. Ecclesia, hear this. You're not supposed to be some lactose intolerant Christian, and I'm not trying to offend the lactose intolerant people here today. <laughs> But by that, I mean this kind of Christian that's just offended by everything and everything's an assault to you. And you're just, no, to be wild and free and passionate and strong, like that's a good thing, not a bad thing. And what God was saying is Ishmael's not going to be a slave. A donkey typically is an animal of servitude, right? A, a donkey that's been tamed is meant just to carry your things. And what God promises to Hagar about Ishmael is Ishmael won't just be a donkey of servitude, a slave. He'll be wild and fierce and free. And that ecclesia is good. I gotta tell you, the best things that happen around here have come as a result of wild, fierce, free people that dream up new things. They just think like, out of my woundedness, right? The best things that happen around here often revolve around our brother Manuel. And if you hear Manuel's story, right? The Harmony House barbecue that they talked about earlier today. If you go to Simple Feast and they came out of Manuel's struggle when he was unhoused and he just said like, I'm gonna create a community that cares in the midst of all of that challenge, right? Because I know and I've walked that path and it's not typical. What happens at this church is not typical at all, right? 
I'm really blessed this weekend that I've had like a lot of great friends in. And my wife um, jumped in and surprised me. And one of my best friends, my college roommate, is here with us today. My buddy Drew Driver is over the corner. And, um, and I start to tear up because I love this man. And he is wild and free. Like he will offend you within three seconds if he meets you. <laughs> but you know what? It's out of his woundedness. One of the things I'm most proud of Drew is that he's He's working particularly with men that are struggling with sex addiction, that it's come out of his own woundedness, and he's walking with people in that way. And it, so he's taken this pain and this suffering, and he's made it a beautiful thing. And it is wild. And, and making that journey is hard, and it's filled with like moments of deep and profound broken hearts. But I got to tell you, Ecclesia, I'd love to have a room full of Christians more like my buddy Drew. Now, he would tell you like, he'd, be, he'd tell you he's the worst Christian in the room. I'd tell you different. And I want to be a part of a community where people go, let's be more like Ishmael. So hear this today. If you've been taught at some point that Arab people were unkind, our Muslim brothers and sisters are people that you're supposed to fight with, you've not understood this story well, and you don't understand the world very well. So I got a hundred stories I could tell you about the love and hospitality of Muslim and Arab people, but this is what I'd tell you. My, one of my favorites is... Um, and my brother Kirby, who's here, shot this shot. We were in Nablus in 2020. And I, I had the group. Nablus is a city in the heart of the West Bank. It's totally Palestinian, totally Arab. And, um, and it's an old city. And I was explaining to people what they were going to see today and the kind of food and great things we were going through. And as I was telling, I've been in the city literally for four or five, five minutes maybe. And I see a, a car pass by, and it had one of my favorite foods on it. So naturally, I was just distracted for a minute, right? It was a Zatar pizza. If you've been there before, it's a pizza with the Zatar on it, and it's so good. And as he passed by, I just pointed and said, I love that Zatar pizza. Well, I pointed at it, and this is what happened, literally. The guy sees me point at his pizza. He pulls over, and he gives me a piece of pizza. I've been in Nablus for five minutes. Now, I got to tell you, I could stand out here on Houston Avenue <laughs> for a year, <laughs> and I could point at the food in people's car and be like, oh, Los Tios, I love their queso. <laughs> right? They would drive by me every time. For a year, I could point at people's food. Nobody would stop and give me that food. I got to tell you, when I'm in an Arab Muslim context, I experience a hospitality that's unlike, if you're there and you say, I don't know where I'm staying tonight, instantly they say, you're staying with me. I could sit here as your pastor all day and be like, I don't know where I'm staying tonight. And you'd be like, have you heard of Priceline.com? Like, <laughs> they will book you a hotel. And you're like, what? No, I, I don't know where I'm going to stay tonight. And that's the kind of hospitality. I was literally, you're in the last sermon, so I'm gonna tell you more. We were in, my wife and I had an anniversary trip to the Bahamas, and I just, we met a couple at the pool with their kids. And I knew they were Arab, so I just, they were going on a boat ride the next day. So I just said, and inshallah, that you have good weather, right? And in Arabic, it means God, God willing, right? And this, they were like, you know Arabic? And I'm like, well, like eight words, but yeah. <laughs> and, um, and they were so just, a small act of grace. And literally, these are Muslims that don't drink. And they said, you're drinking pina coladas. I'm buying the next round. And you're like, what? Like, they, they, they needed to buy me something. They wanted to extend hospitality and kindness because it's at the core of who they are. Now, I'm not saying they're better than you, but they're better than you. <laughs> they're nicer than you. 
So if you bought into any idea that you heard on some news channel that told you that you're somehow better or Abraham's better and kinder and Ishmael's not, we missed it. And if you heard it and you thought it, we ought to repent it because it's not true. So celebrate your story and family. Use your power the way God used his power. Be wild and free. Then I got two more before we go. One of the things that I love in this story is that when Hagar is alone and desperate, God comes to Hagar, but I love also the way that Hagar responds to God. God first gives her power and invites her real story, but then in hearing her story, she experiences what many of us hope to experience when when we're actually seen for who we are. And she's the first person in the Bible to give God a name. And she calls God El Royi. Now, you got all these people in the Bible so far in Genesis, and nobody's given God a name. And Hagar said, you're the God who sees me. I got to tell you, Ecclesia, to be seen by God, other people may not see you. I hope somebody here today sees you. I hope you take a moment to see each other. That's why Christian community exists. But you need to know God sees you. God knows you and loves you. And then out of that, she's reminded that she has the power to name things. This is important in Genesis. This is what I want you to know. You own own your power to name. Anybody have kids and remember that feeling of like, this is your name? And Hebrews, especially, they believe that if you give your kid a name, they're going to have those attributes, right? So if you give your kid a name like Wild Fighter, like they're going to be in the MMA, you know, that it's just they're, they're, they're going to take on these gifts of their name. You have the power to name your circumstances. You can see it as challenges or trials or opportunities. You hear people name things with victim language where they just act like, I don't have a way forward. Or you hear people name things in a way that says, God's created me and put me in the right place and I'm going to do something about it. You have the power to name. You're co-creating the life that God's given you because God's the creator and invited us to co-create with him. So own your story, own your life, own your power to name. And then lastly, this is the one I'll leave you with and we'll take communion. I want you to think about the place that you make decisions from. And this is, this is what I'd tell you in this story. Everybody, everybody except for God, for the most part, is making really bad decisions. And most of what you see in those decisions is that they're rooted in fear. Abram's afraid, you're gonna try to take my wife and I won't be able to protect her. Sarah's afraid, like, I won't be able to give you kids, so let's come up with a different plan. And out of those fear clouds everything. And when you're afraid, you just make really, really bad decisions. And this is what the Bible tells you, and this is what I want you to think about as you come to communion. The Bible tells us this, perfect love casts out fear. It says God's love is perfect, and I would tell you we receive God's love through people. So when we feel loved by God and by other people, it it pushes out all these fearful thoughts, all these anxious thoughts, and we make better decisions. So today, I want to invite you to think about the decisions that you're making in life, when you make them, and will you make them out of a space that you've surrounded yourself with God's love. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.